Welcome to Biota Live. I'm Tom Barbelay, and this is a continuation of the Biota Podcast. For more information on the Biota Podcast, B-I-O-T-A dot org slash podcast. We have our first caller. Hello, first caller. Hi, it's Brian Guy. Hi, Brian. So we're going to go through news and notes per usual, and then we'll uh, get into the, the topic for today. If you too would like to call in, the contact number is 646-200-0640. We have an active chat room if you'd like to get involved and you don't want to call the U.S. number. To get to the chat room, again, biota.org slash podcast. Click on the blog talk radio link and you'll be able to get to the chat room. If you're listening in live, you're probably listening in via blog talk radio anyway, so the chat should be easily accessible for you. So the next couple of episodes, Friday the 9th of May at 8 p.m. Pacific, that's next Friday, we are going to be talking about ideas on the Artificial Life SDK with Chris Hecker and possibly also Steve Grand. Folks may remember the discussion with regards to the Artificial Life SDK in uh, Biota Live uh, a month or so ago, and I contacted Chris shortly after that podcast. He listened to the podcast intently. I believe he's listened to other Biota Live since then, and he will be coming on Biota Live this coming Friday at 8 p.m. Pacific. And hopefully also Steve Grand. I can't make any promises with regards to Steve Grand, but he said he was certainly interested and uh, may end up participating. The following Friday, the 16th of May at 8 p.m. Pacific, we are going to be talking about theoretical biology meets artificial life, multiple origins of life. And this comes to us from Dick Gordon, who submitted this as a possible topic associated with a paper that he had written. Dick Gordon, aside from the Dick Gordon Book Project, the second Biota podcast ever, Dick Gordon is also a listener to this podcast and sends his apologies with regards to participating in the discussion today. He is setting up a Graysum Second Life chapter. I set up a mailing list for Dick and friends this week past, and they have a location. I think they're still organizing meeting times and things like that. If folks are interested, they should contact me, tom at noble8.com, and I'll put you on the mailing list and put you directly in contact with Dick. Other Graysum-related news, Graysum Silicon Valley, I'm reading emails that indicate that there may be a meeting in late May at SRI um, in Palo Alto. So if you're interested in more information, there is a Graysum blog post I made a couple of weeks ago with regards to the Silicon Valley chapter, and there is a link there to join up with the mailing list. Alternatively, you could just email me, tom at noble8.com, and I'll put you in contact with the Graysum Silicon Valley folk. I have been following a meetup in D.C. of various Biota Live alumni, Travis Savo, has been very kindly streaming photos of the event through his Facebook page. There was Gerald de Jong, Justin Lyon, Robert Rice, as well as Travis. Brian, was, was that a Merimenko there as well? Um, I'm, I'm not sure. Okay. I, I couldn't see him in any of the photos. I had asked Travis for a group photo, but unfortunately I saw the photo of him boarding the plane this morning, so I don't think I'll be getting a group photo from Travis. But if any of the other participants, um, I'm looking at you in particular, Gerald de Jong, if you took a photograph of the group, please feel free to submit it to Biota Live. We can fuzzy out faces of IBM execs and other related stuff if they don't want to appear on the Biota podcast page. But it would be wonderful to see the four of you all in a, a photo together. Additional news, show transcripts. I received back the show transcript that I did with uh, Dr. Dave on Shrinkwrap Radio Live just yesterday. If folks are interested, I'm going to put it in the show notes, but for folks listening in live, if you go to my page, noble8.com slash tom, you will see the transcript link. And transcripts just give a means of folks who are perhaps searching for information through Google or other text-based search engines to actually get a sense of what we talk about in these podcasts. Obviously, the podcasts are somewhat high-intensity information, audio formats, and to have it in a text format as well is very useful, particularly for search engines like Google and also for people that may not necessarily be clued in with regards to the podcasting space, but are certainly interested in the information. Now, uh, the fellow who did the Dr. Dave transcription for me uh, has gone back in contact. It is $70 per podcasting hour. And what Dr. Dave is doing and what I would like to do for folks listening into this podcast is if you would like to donate for a particular interview or Biota Live to be transcribed, you can pay the transcriber directly and we'll give you a copy of the transcription, obviously, but if you would also give permission for it to go on a website, that makes it a lot easier for us, obviously. So the rate is $70 per podcast an hour. You can go through 
Biota Live and the Biota Archives, the General Archives, and uh, also, I guess, Biota 2 and various other audio things that we have on the site. And if you're interested in a transcript being put up, if you'd like to make a donation, you can do it directly to the transcriber, and you can use the text as well. So if you're interested in that, tom at noble8.com. Speak here, the podcasts. My other podcast, Ape Reality, was listed on iTunes, and I got a substantial number of new listeners. In fact, uh, Ape Reality is a much shorter format podcast, which means that the bandwidth wasn't quite as uh, extensive as if the Biota podcast would be listed on iTunes. However, it, it prompted Bruce Damer and I to have some hurried communication with regards to reorganizing the podcast structure, in particular how iTunes is picking up the podcasts. May 1st is also uh, my second year anniversary with regards to podcasting. It seems a lot longer, but we are now entering my third year of podcasting, and it has been a, a wonderful way to get information out to folk. Um, I think you've got to agree, Brian, in terms of just getting out to an international audience. Yeah, absolutely, and congratulations on uh, now entering your third year. Well, <laughs> absolutely nothing to do with my actual life has changed because of this, aside from a kind of two- to three-hour commitment each week. But it is wonderful to actually get folks communicating again, and I was looking at the photos in D.C. in particular of um, Gerald, you know, meeting up with uh, Justin, Robert, Rice, and Travis, and it just gives me a sense that, uh, you know, these podcasts are very powerful in terms of actually getting folks communicating, and obviously with the, with the Grey Sum chapters as well. So, additional bits of news and notes. Um, the iTunes review, I think I've talked about this in the past, but the, the way to get Biota, it's kind of catch-22. In one part, we don't want to necessarily listen to iTunes. In the other part, we want the maximum number of people possible listening into the podcasts. So if you would like to leave an iTunes review, it does enable folks to get to the podcast, I think, through some hierarchical ranking or something like that. We currently, in the U.S., because each of the iTunes stores are regional, but in the U.S. we currently only have one review, and it was a bit of a ho-hum review. So if you would like to add an additional review to iTunes, it would be much appreciated. If you would like to see pictures of the folks that are tuning into this podcast on a regular basis, there is the Biota Facebook page, which is ever-growing with folks that tune into the podcast. And it's also a remarkably easy way to get me correspondence and, for example, Travis's recent uh, photographs of the DC get-together and I'm putting up photos of uh, Grayson Silicon Valley and all these kind of things. So it just gives you a different kind of connection with regards to these podcasts in terms of actually seeing the, the faces and introducing yourself to the people that participate in the podcast and also if you'd like to participate in the future. So I've got to recommend the Facebook page. You can get to it by biota.org slash podcast. The Biota Live Correspondence Book Giveaway. You know the names of the books by now. You can find them on biota.org slash podcast. I will send one for a show topic. If anyone is interested, please contact me, tom, at noble8.com. For folks interested in participating today, we had briefly a second person in the chat room, but the chat room is available for folks who don't want to call in. However, folks who do want to call in, area code 646-200-0640. So, Brian... The question for this week, for people who are just perhaps tuning into this podcast for the first time and don't really get a sense of Greysum, do you want to just give an introduction to what Greysum is? Sure, absolutely. Greysum is a group of individuals who are interested in talking about artificial life and related fields. And one of our, our keys is it doesn't matter what your background is as long as you have an interest in, in artificial life. So we, we try to reach out to academic researchers, out to uh, people who are just hobbyists, uh, people in industry, just anyone who has even a passing interest in artificial life. The goal of the group is to get those people talking, learning about different developments, and just really fostering communication between these like-minded individuals. So you've been running Grayson Boston for the past two years now, formally. Do you have any, any rules or any structure to the meetings? Yeah, well, I guess those are, are two, two somewhat separate issues. In terms of our core principles, we, um, one of the things is we, we make sure that there's no, uh, or we make sure that, that we're free and open to the public. So the idea when Martin and I started was really keeping it, um, keeping it focused on the free exchange of information and ideas. And so as such, we make sure that, that there are no cover fees or dues or any other costs that come to individuals. And one thing that has made that harder is that we don't accept corporate sponsorships. 
want to make sure that, that this is an organization that is um, that is just for people and for the discussion of these ideas and, and doesn't serve to promote any individual's interests or any sort of corporate interests. The history of the artificial life community, if, if it can be characterized in any way, has been one of the, I don't know, ebbs and flows with regards to trust and distrust of corporate entities. And I think one of the great strengths in the Graytham model is that it completely removes any of that related baggage from the conversation. Yeah, and I'd just like to, to comment on that. We have absolutely nothing uh, against corporations, and we think there's there's a lot of uh, great work that, that various different companies are doing that are at least tangentially related to artificial life. So I don't, I don't want to sound like we're anti um, any of these entities. We just want to make sure that the focus of the group remains, um, remains on the, the pure subject matter of artificial life. Certainly. And in terms of the structure of the meetings, can you give some outline to that? Yeah, well, it's it's changed a bit um, since there have been, I'd say, um, two major phases of the group. The first was with just a handful of us getting together at a uh, at a pub in Cambridge, and we just come in and talk about a life. So sometimes um, a week or so before the meeting, somebody would send out a link to a paper that had come out in a journal on a life or a certain project they had read or. Um, something in a related field. And what we do is we'd read it before the meeting, and then when we'd get together, we'd just casually talk about that paper. Um, so we did that for, for um, you know, maybe about a year or so. And then we decided to make the group a bit more formal, and we switched to the new format where we have a speaker come in, and um, it's still a, a very casual setting. People, you know, are uh, eating dinner and ordering drinks during this. So it, it's very far from an academic presentation. But somebody will, will come in and give about a 30, uh, maybe 45-minute speech on a different artificial life subject. And oftentimes before, or I should say sometimes before the meeting, we invite people from the community to, to come up and talk about one of the projects they're working on. So they'll give a, a five or so minute presentation on, you know, a hobbyist A-life project or just something that, that they're interested in. Yeah, I think one of the interesting things that I passed back to Bruce Damer when he set up the, the Silicon Valley chapter, which is still really in the process of being set up, but Bruce's initial sense was that there was a community, but reaching out and finding that community may be something that was um, difficult or uh, hard to do initially. And I think one of the interesting points of feedback that I gave actually from our our chat recently was that you folk, you know, met in a kind of semi-private environment via a mailing list initially in order to strengthen the ties that you had with the kind of core group of people and bring them to a, a kind of critical mass. I mean, in my notes for for this particular chat, my interest was really how many people do you think is the bare minimum with regards to setting up a grey thumb initially? Well, what's your thinking on that? Well, um, you know, we started with with about half a dozen or so. And the, the sense was, you know, if we could get even just a couple more people who had come sort of, if, if say there was another dozen or so people who were interested, but we only got a quarter of those each meeting. So even if it was something, you know, like nine or maybe ten people came, to us we considered that a great success. And so now fast forward a couple of years, we're holding steady at about, 30 people, and there's there's excitement from people all over the world who are interested in starting these chapters. I would say it can start very small and and end up growing into something pretty fast. So it started out with with just you and Martin, and then slowly but surely you brought more people in initially. Is that is that right? Um, the, the only qualification I would say is not um, not slowly. It happened pretty quick. The first meeting was about four people, and then we we grew to to six to eight people, holding pretty steady at that um, within just a couple months. So it was it was very. I, I think there's probably only one meeting where it was four people, and then it, it blossomed upward pretty quickly. So in terms of reaching out to people, I mean, let's create a, a theoretical uh, interested Greytham folk. Let's put the person, I guess, in Argentina or maybe uh, South Africa or somewhere like that. As an individual who is listening to this podcast and really interested in setting up a Greytham chapter, how do you begin in terms of finding like-minded folk in your area? Well, one of the, the first things you can do is we, uh, we set up a 
page on our website for people individual interested in starting a group. And that that site will will continue to add to that in the, the next couple of days and weeks. But that, that site is a good first start where they can contact us. So if they go to graythumb.org, there's a link to start a chapter. And we can begin the, the dialogue with them. They can also read about the, the principles behind Graythumb. But the, the main advice in terms of organizing the group or, or finding people, you know, that we, we did on a, a very ad hoc basis. We, we contacted people we knew who were interested, and then we contacted... Uh, we contacted some, or we found some mailing lists that seemed somewhat similarly aligned, and we asked the administrators if they'd mind if we sent an announcement. So that was our strategy to to get people in the local area knowing. But the the main key is to is to go to that page on the website, send us an email, and really just start the start the discussion. Yeah, another another point of feedback that I gave to the London folk in particular. I mean, there are about sixteen universities in the kind of Greater London area. In my own experience and in your experience and possibly a, a large number of the folks that we actively communicate with, the seed ideas for artificial life were sown relatively early, but it was through going to university and getting exposed to so much additional information that the, the kind of ideas blossomed in that early period. And universities are an, an ideal uh, place to start looking for folks that may be interested in artificial life. So what I said to the folks in London was that they should just assemble a simple flyer and go to the biology, the computer science, possibly the philosophy, you know, these kind of departments in their local universities and obviously ask permission, but then put up the flyer. That is a great idea. And when we made the, the phase transition, um, we did the, the same thing. We put up flyers around... Um, pretty much all of the, the local Boston area universities um, and put some in the, the computer science departments as well, uh, as well as contacting some of the professors that we knew, asking them to forward it on to individuals or classes that, that might have an interest. So I think tapping universities is a, a great idea, both for, for letting, letting the different researchers at the university have awareness of the group, but, but also really letting the, the students know about it and know that, that there is a forum if they're interested in these types of possibilities for computers. Certainly. And there are two relatively substantial artificial life mailing lists. One of them is the biota mailing list and the other one is the artificial life announcements mailing list. And certainly with regards to this podcast, and I've also passed it back to, to folks that are interested in starting great thumb-related chapters, there's no such thing really as spam on these mailing lists if you have artificial life-related you know, interests. So feel free to, to utilize the biota mailing list. And I think also the artificial life announcement mailing list as a means of uh, gathering like-minded folk in your area. Now, the interesting thing that I found about your discussion of the early days was in terms of people that you had never met, you, you, you had no primary contact with them, just turning up early on and then really becoming uh, critical people in your structure and also good friends to you. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, finding people like Adam and these kind of like-minded folk just appearing? You know, that's always been a bit of a surprise to me that, that they actually found us. We had a very little presence. We... Um, you know, we, we had the, the public mailing list and, you know, it got indexed on the web. And I know in the case of Adam, when he moved to Boston, he just went to Google and searched for Artificial Life Boston and found us. At the time, the, the group, Adam was the one who, who named the group Graytham. But at the time, we were called either Boston Artificial Life or Artificial Life Boston. I forget which of the two. And so he, he just found it through, um, through a search engine. And I believe... John Klein found us the same way. Yes, I mean, you talk about this kind of lazing effect initially of just the numbers growing rapidly, but a part of that is just the nature of uh, folks that are interested in artificial life as well. I mean, the, the hobbyist community, if I talk about the past two years with regards to these podcasts, there's been immense lazing with a kind of international artificial life community associated with just putting these podcasts out. So there are a lot of hungry, you know, hungry for information, hungry for collaboration, hungry to find like-minded people, folk out there that are just looking for uh, the likes of, of Greytham chapters to be set up. And I think that's been your success. That's been Bruce's current success, the, the London chapter as well. Talking again to the person that is in, in an area where they're not necessarily sure that there are artificial life-related folk around them, we talked about universities, we've talked about mailing lists, 
In terms of actually starting the, the meetings together, did you initially meet in, in someone's home? Uh, yeah, the, the initial meeting, the, the first meeting, I, perhaps the, the second one as well, we just met at my apartment. So right. we, we brought over a, a projector, and Martin gave a presentation, of the, the very first one on his PhD thesis which was evolving robot visual systems, visual navigation systems. So that, that was the first meeting, very humble, just in, in my, uh, the, the living room of my apartment. From early meetings, you then moved to finding a location, and this seems to be talking to the, the folks in Silicon Valley in London. This seems to be a big thing with regard to actually finding the perfect location. Can you talk a little bit about how you found your current location? Sure. We, we bounced around a bit. One of the, the keys when you... Um, when you want to, to get a, a room that can accommodate 30 or more people, you um, most places require that either you pay to, to reserve the room um, a considerable fee, usually you know somewhere around, at least in the Boston area, somewhere above $500, or you guarantee that same amount of food purchases. So you don't have to pay, uh, you don't have to reserve the room, but you just say that the people here are going to purchase at least five or six hundred dollars worth of food. Food and alcohol. Yeah, food, food and drink, just any, okay. anything. So it's been it's been very tough to find a venue that that's willing to to give you a room once a month without any sort of either financial payments or guarantees. And we first met at a place that um, um, that, that wasn't all that accommodating to us and would bump us literally at the last minute if um, if a group agreed to pay. And so there, there was one meeting in particular where we arrived and they just said that they had given it to another group. So that was difficult. But now we, we found the Asgard in um, Central Square, and they've been very kind to us. One of the, the keys is our meetings are on a Monday for a couple of reasons, but one of the, the main reasons is that restaurants are much more inclined to give you a private room on a Monday evening than they would any other night of the week without actually paying a reservation fee. Um, there, there are some problems with it, as anyone who's watched the videos know. It's not the uh, not the most quiet place, um, kind of an odd, almost Dungeons and Dragons like decor on the walls. You couldn't pay for rustic ambience, right? Right. <laughs> but they've they've been they've been very very kind to us, and um, and so we've we've enjoyed meeting there. And I mean, you've also given a lot back to them in terms of in terms of food and drink taking. I'm sure. Absolutely, and one of the the key things is. I think when people come to a venue like that, they're very comfortable chatting with one another, sitting around large uh, tables facing each other. Um, it's very different from when I've observed people meeting um, in an environment that's somewhat sterile where there are rows of, of seats facing forward. A lot of time what you see there is somebody um, take an empty seat with uh, three seats on either side, and then when the, the meeting's over, they go. Whereas at the Asgard, people are, are pretty much just, um, you know, they, they have to sit down next to a bunch of other people. So it, it, um, it really promotes communication and, and cohesion to the group. And I think the problems that you folk have had with Boston aren't necessarily shared internationally. Certainly my recollection of the UK and Australia was that there were, you know, there were a relative number of public buildings or semi-public buildings that could be rented for, or for a transitional fee. I think probably what you're saying with regards to folks not making uh, donations and these kind of things eliminate that. But in terms of setting it up in, for example, people's workplaces and things like that, what's your general thinking on that? Well, I think that's a case-by-case -case basis. Initially, we were, we were very reluctant to it, especially at a, at a corporate setting for fear that it will just turn into um, sort of a, a PR promotion for the, the group hosting the meeting. But, but I don't know if that's, that's a blanket, you know, if, that, if the cause for concern on that um, might be overly harsh. It, it seems like there are a lot of groups that, that may just be um, interested. Certainly uh, a research institution, I, I think there are, there are much less fears of it as being, being considered a corporate sponsorship. Certainly, yeah, it's, it's a fine line, and I think this is going to be something that's particularly interesting when Grayson chapters are established in a diversity of other countries, how it's culturally bridged. I mean, it may be something where people just, in certain circumstances, continue to meet in homes and things like that for a period of time. In terms of the kind of infrastructure, you've mentioned the Grayson site, and certainly 
as we're kindred spirits at Biota, we've offered and, and given mailing lists and various other things to assist folks set up grey some chapters. In terms of infrastructure, let's start with internet infrastructure more than anything. What kind of things are needed in order to start a grey thumb chapter? Well, that's actually, um, we've got, got some, some things that we're doing that we're actually really excited about, um, about announcing today. In addition to setting up on our website, a, um, each new chapter will get, a, or it currently has a page now on the main website. And we're in the, the process of, of contacting those, those people and getting them their administrator accounts and passwords. So when you start up a group, you'll get a website directly on the graythumb.org site. I mean, we also migrated to a new hosting service. Beforehand, we you know, had some, some growing pains with our IT issues, but we're now going with a provider that, that offers 99's uptime. And so we're, we're pretty confident now that when you get one of these sites, it's pretty much guaranteed to be up no matter what. Um, we also, when you start up a new group, are setting up three different mailing lists, all at the graythumb.org. One list for announcements, one for chat, and one for core. And the difference between those groups, announce, that's just for people who want to know when's the meeting, what's the time, what's it going to be about. So if they're not interested in hearing more about the you know, minutia or, or the different issues, or they'll just find out when it is. Chat, that's for people who would like to talk about the direction of the group, various other factors. And core, that's for people who are organizing the group and the ones actually making the, the logistical types of decisions. So when you start up a group, you'll get, um, we'll create all three of those mailing lists for you, the website that you'll have administrative access to, and we really want to promote the cohesion of the group. I think that, that these ways are, are a great way to do that. What's interesting with all these mailing lists is, particularly on the Biota Conversations mailing list and some of the other mailing lists, I'm on thanks in large part to talking about the singularity. I'm now on a wide variety of singularity-related mailing lists as well. And it's fascinating to see, um, I've seen Graytham uh, reposts, I've seen uh, various Biota chat reposts, it's fascinating to see the evolution of small mailing list discussion as it propagates over huge mailing lists and then back to small and, and things of this nature. So in terms of the group cohesion and things like that, certainly the early feedback we've received with regards to Greytham Boston and also uh, the London, the Silicon Valley chapters is with regards to folks that are going to a, a particular locale for a few days and would like to get together either casually or meet specifically at, at the um, organised meetings. Can you talk a little bit about um, folks who travel and who would be interested in you know, attending a specific chapter's meeting or perhaps just meeting up for drinks with a specific chapter? Well, I think that that's really what those, those different chat lists are going to be for. So if you want to reach out and, and talk to some of the people, find out what the group's like, or if you're traveling and you're going to be through an area, ask if, if anyone's interested. And so we, we see those as, as a real way to kind of promote that type of communication. We found in the past that when that those kinds of discussions go through an announcement list, we see a lot of uh, a lot of people unsubscribe. So there there are certain people who, um, you know, as as all of us do, get a ton of email through the day, and don't really want to be part of those types of discussions. And then you have other people who very much look forward to seeing those emails come up in their discussion group, and that that is specifically what they are looking for in these discussions. And so we want to make sure that, that, that we cater to both of those types of individuals. Also, um, we hope that, that the, the websites will be a good, will be a good way to, to help promote that. So if people have, you know, some ideas or suggestions, they can, they can use the website to put up an idea and ask for feedback on it. So if, if people say, you know, let's all just get together and, and work on this project or um, that kind of thing, there'll, there'll be a good forum for that. And certainly, I mean, just a line is the classic example of this is someone who traveled to Boston specifically to see a, a Grayson meeting and then went back to London and set up his own chapter. In terms of folk that are interested in, I guess, either evangelizing or talking about their particular projects, what kind of advice can you give to them for, for setting up a Graytham presentation? Um, well, one of the things that I think we, we've all liked about the Graytham presentation is that they, they definitely um, are all over the map. Some are, you know, much more formal kind of presentations that you get at a conference. Others are more of a, you know, live demo. Um, so I think the only, the only caveats we'd have are um, for, the, for the larger presentation, the main presentation, 
um, you know, just as long as it, it relates to the uh, as long as it relates to to the field of artificial life or a um, similarly related field, and isn't isn't there to you know promote a product or service that this is is just to really get people talking about these ideas or, or see something interesting that's that's done. Um, so I think that that would be the the only guidelines for the the main presentation. As for the the shorter presentations, we those are a much wider net. If if someone's presenting for five minutes, it um, it doesn't have to be too related to artificial life at all. It can just be some kind of interesting thing that someone's working on. And part of that is just we, we really like the idea of people getting to know each other and know what other people in the group are doing. And so anybody who's doing something that I think we'd consider interesting or at least very, very tangentially related to, uh, <laughs> I guess, if anybody's doing something interesting with a computer, I think the, the five-minute pre-meeting presentation is a great forum for that. Certainly. The feedback that I received some from some folks that attended the London Grey Thumbs was that they were expecting, I guess, to turn up and have a, a kind of talk and show discussion with a wide variety of artificial life-related uh, enthusiasts. I know you've discussed this um, with regards to the Boston chapter perhaps going on a retreat or something like that. What kind of freedom would you allow for Grey Thumb chapters in terms of their ability to do those kind of uh, you know, informal get-togethers and presentations? Oh, an enormous amount. I, mean, I think that that's that's one of those things that that we really one of the the main reasons why we we started the group. So we'd we'd love to see that stuff happen. I, I don't think that the the individual groups have to follow the the format of having the, the you know the the main speaker and a secondary speaker at all. You know, if it's just five or six people or, or four people that just meet um, meet in the pub or coffee shop or somebody's apartment to uh, to talk about artificial life. Um, I, I think we're we're very supportive of that. So if if you're in an area that that maybe can't, um, you know, we're we're lucky in that we're in Boston that has a, a very vibrant academic community and and programming community. But if you're in a community that that maybe doesn't have those kind of numbers, but you can find two or three people that are interested in getting together once a month or more frequently or or somewhat less frequently, we're we're very supportive of that. So it doesn't have to follow the the exact format that that we've adopted in Boston. So an interesting thing came through the Graytham Silicon Valley mailing list recently, and that's the Maker Fair that is going on, I think, this weekend in Silicon Valley. And um, for folks not familiar, that has a rather broad and eclectic mix of folk that are involved, but it relates, I think, specifically to Make Magazine and kind of build your own stuff, a kind of uh, hobbyist engineering bent. And the feedback that we received was that next year would be an ideal time to kind of plan through all of this year to have a substantial presence at next year's Maker Fair, um, both as Biota and Graytham, I guess, in some regard. What's your feeling with regards to those kind of public presentations and the use of, of Graytham shared resources at presenting in those kind of forums? Well, I, I think it's a it's a great idea, and I'd, I'd love to, to support that and be a part of that. I think that the main thing is just you know keeping in mind the, the core principles of the group, and as long as, as those are adhered to, I think that those are, are wonderful opportunities. The type of people who would show up at, at something like a, a Make Festival, I think, are, are very um, similar kindred spirits to those of us hacking on artificial life projects. So I think there's, there's a wonderful opportunity to, to let people know about some of the more kind of interesting things that, that you can do with, with a computer besides just the, the more kind of straightforward things that, that most people tend to think of. I constantly remind myself that if you use the term artificial life, nine times out of ten, people won't know what you're talking about. And that, that goes, you know, I think that includes the, the IT spectrum. So I think that it's a great opportunity for people to learn about artificial life and learn about projects that people are working on and learn about how they, too, can do these types of things. So I think that's a that's a great fit for Graytham. And in terms of broader promotion, we've talked a little bit about Spore in the past. Obviously, thankfully, none of us were attached to Expelled in any way. Uh, but we have talked about Spore in the past with regards to how we can use these kind of things to promote broader artificial life. What is your sense with regards to things like Spore and potentially games in the future in terms of using viral PR in terms of getting out the message of artificial life associated with these kind of launches? Well, I think, I think that, that there, there may be some, some good fits there. I hope that, um, that Spore kind of lets people realize what um, gets people uh, or seeds people with the ideas of, of what can be done in terms of, um, in terms of artificial life. 
um, and, and hopefully it'll it'll start a discussion so that that can be that can be a great forum for it. I'm I'm dying to to get the game the the day it comes out, and I'm also gonna gonna buy the the creature builder the, the day it comes out. I wish. I wish they had pushed the game more in its original intent with the, the computer doing a lot of the evolution instead of the, the actual individuals doing the, the brunt of the, the evolutionary work on the creatures. But I, I think it, it'll still be just a great great opportunity to raise, um, you know, it's the most anticipated video game after probably um, Grand Theft Auto 4. So I think I, I think there'll be a lot of eyes on it, and, and I think that, that hopefully that'll help promote artificial life. In terms of directly tying in i'm not quite sure what a good strategy is but but i I think that it'll it'll probably do a lot to to raise awareness of artificial life type concepts at least in a much larger audience i'm really looking forward to the opportunity next week of chatting with chris hecker about i'm not sure how much you can talk about spore but about broader artificial life uh, methodologies and the implementation in, in video games specifically in terms of the Graysum Brain Trust, you're talking a little bit about building some kind of, of plan or philosophy or view with regards to utilizing things like Spore in the future. Can you talk about the plans for the future with regards to uh, how to utilize things like the release of Spore? Well, I'm, I'm not so sure about, about utilizing um, you know, something like Spore specifically, but one of the, the initiatives we've taken recently is uh, the creation of a, a new um, of a new group to just discuss the direction of Graythumb, and so for that we have the the core group in Boston, and we'll be extending invitations to um, to at least one um, representative from each of the different chapters, and just to really discuss you know the the group moving forward and how um, you know what kind of kind of shape it will take because now as the groups are you know starting we're the, the group of us uh, in, in Boston are, are getting, you know, more separate from the different activities. So it's, it's a way to kind of get some cohesion to the group, discuss, find out what people think the group's lacking, find out ideas on, on the direction the group can take, and those types of things. So that, that's one of the things we'll be, be doing moving forward to kind of plan the trajectory of, of Graytham as a whole. Yes, I mean, in terms of the rapid expansion, I, I don't know how many active chapters you can't currently, perhaps just uh, Silicon Valley, London, and New Folk in Boston. But uh, viewing the speed at which this thing is, is moving in some regard, particularly with regards to the regional chapters, when you have, say, 10 chapters operational, how is this going to be managed or, I don't know, organized in, in a coherent sense? Is, is Boston always going to be the head chapter or are there going to be elections or do you have any vision with regards to that? Well, I think that that's the, that's the point of having the, um, of, of having the, the larger group that encompasses members from each of the separate groups. So, you know, the, the, the main idea, I think, of it is finding out how the different groups can help each other, how we can all help this group moving forward. Do, I, and I don't, I don't see Boston as being a um, – the, the Boston chapter itself as being the, the ones who will, you know, pass down fiats. I, I see it more as getting representatives from each of these groups to come together with those of us um, in Boston who – Set this up and who organize it and to to collaborate together on it so but the the, the specific form that that'll take um, will evolve over time and and we're you know just now setting that up to reach out to the the contact people at the different groups to make sure that that we all have open lines of con- conversation and can find out what direction people in all of these groups think we should be taking. So in terms of our discussion so far, Brian, is there is there anything that you think we've we've missed out on talking about so far? Um, I think that that covers the um, the the main ideas. The the you know main thing that that I think those of us um, at the the core here in Boston wanted to um, to get across is that we have that start a local chapter page right on the graythumb.org site, and so we have we have a website there that you can link to or that, that you can send email to if you're interested in starting a group. Each of the, the chapters now um, now has a, a website that can post information on the different meetings and just other topics. That's really up to the the administrators of the different chapters to to decide what they'd like to have on there. Um, also, the, the new 
mailing list where we have three different um, three different ones for each chapter: the announce, chat, and core. And then, lastly, the idea of this this larger core group um, encompassing those of us in, in Boston who've been organizing the group, as well as the individual or individual representatives from each of the separate groups. So those are the those are the the four I think big big changes that we wanted or big big announcements that we wanted to to get out to people. I found with the Silicon Valley chapter, and I, I want to extend this out to the to the broader listening audience of uh, the Bios Live podcast. If you want to contact me, and I'm sure Brian, as well as extending out this invitation directly, if you know you have questions or things of that nature, I'm more than happy to assist with any infrastructure or communication-related issues associated with creating a, a Graytham chapter anywhere. So don't just think that there are these websites and you know these kind of things. There are actual living, breathing human beings as well um, that will put in a good effort with regards to helping you set up a chapter. I remember probably just before the meeting in Silicon Valley, I got an email from someone asking about why it was being held in San Francisco as opposed to the lower valley. And we're more than receptive to receive these kind of emails as well. And particularly with regards to setting up Graythums, I treat them with the, the highest priority in terms of getting them either back to, to Brian or to the Graytham-related mailing lists. And certainly in terms of subscription and these kind of things, if you have any questions with regards to getting on these lists, uh, please feel free to contact uh, me or Brian or Adam or any of the, the Gratham-related folk directly. And this is something I wanted to put out on the podcast specifically because I know there are probably people all over the world thinking, you know, this would be wonderful, but, you know, we are in Argentina, we are in South Africa, we are all over the world. And certainly there, is, there are no geographical divides with regards to this. Well, personally, and I'm sure Brian as well are willing to help anyone who's interested in setting up a chapter, particularly in terms of uh, contacts and communication. Ironically, I think when both the Silicon Valley and the LA chapters were announced, I got an email from a long-lost friend in Australia who said, oh, I know two guys in Silicon Valley and I know a guy in LA. You know, <laughs> We must get them to these meetings as well. So there is a kind of broader international community that is certainly willing to assist with regards to setting up the Great Thumb chapters. And personally, and I'm sure... Brian, you feel this as well. Just seeing photographs of the other chapter meetings is an amazing sense of feedback. I think when the photos came out of the Silicon Valley meeting in particular, seeing Jeffrey demonstrating the latest version of Gene Pool and all the folks, you know, they had a kind of pass around session where Jeffrey passed around his laptop and showed them all uh, Gene Pool uh, running. And I think these kind of things, artificial life developers, artificial life enthusiasts, artificial life academics, artificial life curious, the world over, you know, immediately have a, a, a gelling sense with regards to these kind of things. Brian, in terms of the only, the only final question I wanted to ask is with regards to age groups and things like that. In terms of uh, younger folk getting together and organizing these kind of things or getting assistance, do you have any view with regards to under-18s or under-21 setting up Graytham chapters? Well, I know that that the um, that the, the Boston group is um, is an all ages group, and you know we, I, I tend to think of the Asgard as more on the, the pub side of things, but it, it really is a, a restaurant with a, a bar in front, and we meet at a private room. So, um, so there's certainly no age limitation for people coming to the meetings. And one of the um, one of the presenters of the five minute pre meeting presentations is in high school. I, I'm not sure exactly his age. I, I, would, I would guess. I guess you see he's probably right around 15 or so. So we are, you know, an all-ages group. Certainly the, the concept of meeting meeting at a place like a that has a heavy emphasis on it, its pub side probably does do a bit to, to discourage people um, who haven't attended before. And so I, that, that is a, a concern. And in terms of specific advice, I don't know. I mean, there, there are plenty of places to meet, you know, if, if people are interested in forming a group specifically for people who are high school age, you know, again, I just encourage them to uh, to get in contact. You know, come to you know, come to greatthumb.org, click on the the start a local chapter, send us a, an email. I'm sure we can can help. You know, figure out places to meet, like a community center, library, potentially um, potentially their school. I think there's there's a lot of form, and there's certainly you know that that age tends to to bring about a lot of interest in tinkering with computers. So if, if anybody is out there listening from that background, you know, I would just say please. Get in touch, and and we'll see what we can see what we can get started. And certainly, the other great resource that I've utilized, aside from Facebook and these kind of things, is the Google Video broadcasts with regards to the Boston chapter. I mean, you've been pretty good 
are putting almost every presentation on Google Video. Can you talk a little bit about the feedback that you've received from that? The feedback is mixed. I would say that, that it, it, it probably comes right down the line. Uh, where about 50% of the people are very grateful that, that even though they, they're you know, geographically separate from us, that, that they still can get a, uh, get a window into the group. And then I would say another half of the feedback has been that the, the audio is awful or the video quality is bad, um, that they, they hear you know, forks clinking and glasses being set down in the background. And those are all concerns. You know, we, I wish there, there was some way to, to do sort of more professional more professional video, but you know, there's only I think so much we can do while still having the the meetings there. I, I really do feel for the people who you know who do watch those and and have those kind of distractions and the bad lighting and, and that kind of stuff. But you know, we're really uh, we we just want to make sure that that even though there are some of those hiccups there, that people who are interested can um, can get a window in and, and see what the, the group is discussing. In order, and I've talked a little bit about this with regards to developing special life projects and putting them on download sites, but in order to leave any kind of correspondence, you need to be particularly empowered in either direction. I think you're probably missing the, the good central component that are just pleased that it's online but haven't necessarily left any commentary. I mean, ironically, even with this podcast itself, the only commentary that we have on the iTunes review talks mainly about the audio quality associated with it. So my sense is that the kind of people that leave comments are typically empowered um, in two directions and you miss the, the kind of central group that are uh, very pleased that the information is available. just going to say, I consider that the, the one-star versus five-star kind of uh, feedback divide where you see you know you see a lot of people who, who either give one-star rating on something or five stars, but the, the people who just saw it... Um, thought it was okay or, or thought it was good but, or maybe bad but didn't really you know, feel intended to, to make their voice known are, are probably the, the vast majority. But it's, it's only those people who, who like to give things the one star or the five star that you really hear from. Do you think we've covered absolutely everything that you wanted to discuss today, Brian? I think so. I, I think you know, it, it covered the, uh, the, the, the main principles I think that, that, that I wanted to put out and that, that we as a, as a group up here in Boston wanted to share. It's a more kind of generalist question. Are you seeing any new or exciting projects or ideas coming out of Boston currently relating to artificial life? Besides, you know, continuations of, of, of previous projects, I guess I haven't, um, you know, I haven't seen a, a new A-Life project in, in a while here. That's not to say that they're not, not out here. Um, so the, the, the closest thing I've seen is uh, the um, no, I, I guess I guess I haven't. I was thinking it was MIT, but it was UPenn that that released that that footage of the the self-assembling robot. I think it's an interesting secondary issue with regards to Graham and also with regards to Biota. I constantly scour mailing lists and even random Google searches to try to find things that we're actually missing from the community of perhaps newer emerging things. Has John Klein just had a just had a baby? Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, a little baby Oliver. Wonderful. Well, I, I pass my congratulations on to him, as I'm sure the Biota community does as well, because certainly John Klein was a, a rising star in, in your area, and obviously Adam uh, you know, continues from strength to strength. What's your broader sense with regards to things like the Evo Grid and John's work in terms of outreach to the broader community? Well, I, I think um, you know, I think that that's certainly a, a territory for a lot of growth, and I, I think what, what I'd like to see, um, in particular with the Evo Grid, is just taking two projects, and it doesn't matter which one, and just getting those two to link up. And I, I think once once that happens, then it'll be a lot easier to to make that that third simulation then plug into it. But I think that in order to kind of get the, the critical mass on that, it'd probably help out to just take you know take two projects, doesn't matter what they are, and just get them linked up together. And I think once that happens, it probably the, the rest of the development would probably follow in somewhat quickly behind, but I think you, you need to get those, those core ones in because it, it seems like you can discuss theoretical schemas and, and all kinds of stuff like that forever, and you, you're never going to come up with something that, that's ideal. It's just when you kind of roll up your sleeves and really start tinkering that, that I think the, the great results will happen. So I think that that's, my, that that's what I'd like to see happen with the Evo grid. In terms of, of promotion, I, I know um, both Adam and, and John are working 
are, are working very hard on their their projects. I don't know what what direct you know direct advice I have. I guess in terms of of promoting to the the larger community. It's an interesting problem, and we may even be in a human genome analogous situation with regards to the Simudine meeting in DC. We only have a meeting a minute remaining, so unfortunately, I'm going to have to wrap things up here, Brian. But I'm certainly interested in feedback from the folks in DC about whether there will be a uh, human genome-esque style competitive development with regards to the Evo grid and, and what they're creating currently. So for folks listening in, next Friday, the 9th of May at 8pm Pacific, we have the benefit of chatting with Chris Hecker, who is on the Spore development team, although he may not be talking about Spore-related stuff, and potentially also Steve Grand. So one to listen into. Brian, I'd like to thank you very much for, uh, for our opportunity to chat today. It's been wonderful. And th- thank you for, for all your efforts and for, for inviting me on the show as well. Not a problem. Good talking with you.